Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Military Veteran Dad, episode 33. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to pause for a moment to say two names of two soldiers who won't be coming home. These soldiers died in Afghanistan on July 29th. The first one, PFC Brandon J. Kreiser of 20 years old in Stryker, Ohio. He leaves behind his wife, Grace, and his unborn Sam, un, unborn son, Callum, who will never get to know what his father's love feels like. Second is Specialist Michael Isaiah Nance of 24, who was raised and grew up in Chicago. He did not have a family, but he will not have the honor to be able to create one on his own. So often, when if we lost a friend overseas, that friend didn't come home, and it's a, it's a pain that we still feel every day. I didn't have anything close to losing a friend. I never even served in Iraq or Afghanistan. But the ones that did lose a friend, often on the podcast, we've talked about that knowing that they died and that you could come home, let that sacrifice for maybe they don't get to hug their kids anymore that let that sacrifice be a measurement of how high you set the bar for you to come home and be the father and the husband that you now have been given a gift of being able to do. PFC Brandon J will never get to meet his unborn son and his son will never get to know what his father's like. And that's something that he laid that sacrifice down so that others still able to be dad can be dads. So every time you're enjoying that moment of being a dad, Remember the ones that didn't come home and the ones that helped make it possible and always set the bar as high as that sacrifice for your ability to be dead. Looking forward, the Facebook group is still a resource that we have for this podcast. It's something we're just getting started with. I've just started also blogging daily in that Facebook group. It's about 200, 300 words of what's going through my heart, my mind, and just generally what's my life like throughout that day. Sometimes it's it's all kind of all over the place, but it's daily. I call it the Dad Daily, so check that out in the Facebook group. There's a link in the show notes to join the Facebook group. I also want to just pause again and thank you, the listener, for showing up every week and listening to these episodes because just this week with this episode, we have passed 3,000 listens since I launched on January 1st to bring every dad home, and that mission becomes stronger and stronger in my heart. It becomes more and more important, and as I grow an audience that, that enjoys this message, it feels even better greater joy inside than I did when I first launched. So I want to thank you for showing up every week. And if you haven't left a review on iTunes, those reviews are the lifeblood of this new podcast and helps us reach more military veteran dads. And the mission will grow and grow with every review on iTunes. So if you haven't left a review, I would really appreciate it. Those reviews are the lifeblood of podcasts on iTunes. And without further ado, I want to jump right into this military transition episode. It's a great episode. We dive in a whole bunch of stuff. This is a very seasoned father. His kids are 15 and 10, and he just brings a perspective and a whole big pile of wisdom for dads like me on the younger side of kids' age and just what life we have in store for us, but then also just laying down some yellow brick road for us to go walk on to make sure we get to the land of Oz that we're all looking for. So without further ado, jump into the episode with Matthew Lewis. Today's guest is one of the nation's leading experts in career transition for veterans and public service professionals. Matthew J. Lewis is a graduate of West Point and retired Lieutenant Colonel, having spent more than 25 years in uniform and 20 years in the corporate world. Today, he leads global strategy and transformation projects at Deloitte, the largest professional services firm in the world, and continues to serve several veteran collaboratives around the country. Matt is the author of Mission Transition, a practical guide for veterans in transition and their employers. He coaches individuals on their transition efforts and advises employers on hiring programs designed to successfully assimilate these valuable talent pools of veterans into their corporations. Matthew, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much, Ben. So glad to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. 
I'm always excited when I get a dad towards the end or the higher spectrum of life because at being at the lower end, my kids being seven, four, and three, uh, I always like getting excited, but then also just seeing the different seasons of life and how it changes. And then also how it just kind of calibrates your reality that no matter what season you're at, there's always a struggle. Yeah. Well, first, that's a very kind way to put it. <laughs> None of us are getting younger. And uh, you know, I have three kids. Uh, we talked before we, we went live here. I have a 15-year-old boy and twin uh, boys that are 10. So my wife and I got a little bit of a late start, but we've achieved an age that, uh, you know, I'll call it some of our golden years right now. Uh, the teenager hasn't quite yet started copying too much of an attitude. And, you know, he's about to drive and the, the 10-year-old twins are just at a perfect age. You had mentioned that you didn't have kids intentionally till after you got out of the military. As you were an officer in, in the military, did you have or you had a perspective on family, did you kind of lead with that perspective as well for other people that did have families? Was there a philosophy that you were as an officer? Uh, I, I never viewed the approach to to families while I was in as an officer or not. My own personal values, beliefs associated with that sprung from my own upbringing. Uh, to your point, we we delayed having kids and family until um, after getting out of the service. But that that was purposeful uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, for one, um, my wife was in medical school at the time and wanted to give her the freedom to, to finish that and start her career there. Uh, myself, in getting out, I, I recognized that I needed some additional upskilling in order to begin my career. So. Uh, you know, going back to school full time before initiating uh, my career, we, we didn't want to take on that additional responsibility immediately. So that's how that played out. Um, as it relates to, you know, other people in our unit that that had families, I just viewed it as part of the extension of the unit. I'm an army guy and in army units, uh, leaders are taught to to look out for the entirety of the unit, and that includes not only the the soldiers that are assigned to your unit, but their extended families as well. So I, I always uh, thought that my responsibility, the the scope of of uh, my effort, included those extended families, be it spouse, children, what have you, and always made that part of. Uh, you know, any extended mission, any kind of deployment that we had to make sure that uh, those considerations were always taken into account. I was actually talking to a couple different people and, and both of them have been recruiters. And the one thing that I'm noticing about the recruiting command is there isn't necessarily the focus on the core values of family. I feel both recruiters felt like they were uh, just yanked away from their family almost by the obligation to try to keep the quotas, to keep the system going, to keep all the paperwork moving, which is, I was, I was reflecting on this as after I've talked to both of them that it's kind of sad that the military doesn't use recruiting duty as one of those re recharging stations as a military family where they do have more chances to be home. There's less chance to be deployed, but yet somehow the, the command structure doesn't recognize to to reinvest in those families and prioritize. And then I'm thinking like, what if the command structure in the recruiting system was investing as a family first policy with their recruiting command? How would those recruiters show up to, the, to their job daily if they knew that family was first and everything else was secondary? They would, I'm, I'm theorizing based on just understanding even when you do that kind of stuff in corporate world that when they know you have your back and that family's first, they're gonna give you even more because they know what, that you know what matters most. Yeah, you would think that that they would, uh, and I'm not intimate with how those assignments get allocated, but I would like to think that um, the service member has some say into where they're going to go to serve that recruiting duty. That may not be the case, but one would think if they had some say and could go to uh, a place where it's going to better benefit their family, say a better support infrastructure, uh, with surrounding family members that, yeah, that would be much more advantageous. I've been thinking about creating it as more of a, almost like a little bit of a campaign or talking about a little bit more of that, or maybe just challenging command officers that are currently serving to 
just recognized the role that they can play in changing the tide of military family structure and how military dads come home every day. Because I think sometimes we just get caught up in the sacrifice of your service. And I know in, in corporate worlds is the same thing that you can just get these feelings like no matter what you gave during your day, it wasn't enough. And that there's always more work to do in the military. And I think that race can kind of condition you to keep going, especially the military, I feel like, because it's just, it's a noble sacrifice in everybody's mind. But officers yeah. have the ability to craft a different message and to help military fathers come home and recognize and remind them that you need to go home right now. I don't care what you're working on, but your family is more important. And I think that's something we could start saying more often and encourage. Yeah, well, it adds to the concept of, of good going around. If the military could do that and help those individuals uh, be more present in the lives of their families, they would, in theory, uh, show up better at work and be better recruiters and you know portray that better picture to those they're trying to recruit. Much as uh, in what I'm doing with my first book and trying to help the military be better stewards of people matriculating from the service. If the service can do a better job of helping those individuals achieve full employment upon leaving the service, they're going to be more inclined to recommend the service as a way of life and thus, you know, recommend mm -hmm. that more recruitees to show up and be a member of the service. Good goes around. And I remember I didn't start a family. I didn't, I wasn't even really dating when I was in the Marine Corps and I just was witness to the toll that families were taken. And I just consciously knew that that wasn't the way that I wanted to, kind of similar to yours where there was just, it was, it didn't feel right. And I feel like there's a missed opportunity for leadership to change the message of what is possible and what is not possible for life in the military. And generally we always hear the hardships, but I think leadership has the ability to, to focus on some of the positives and make those positives reasons to, to join even if done correctly. It's, it, I'm sure as, as you worked in your corporate career, it's the, it's the same when you, when you focus on what matters most to your, your employers or your employees, it's, they're, they're going to show up that much stronger. But if you treat them like a number, they're going to show up like a number. And often that's what we see in the military. Yeah. You make a good point, Ben. Um, I mean, I, I got out quite some time ago, uh, all the way back in 1996 when I left active duty. But what, certainly what was going through my head at that point in time was recognition of the fact that if I did uh, start having kids and, and a family in the military, that look, simply looking at some of the older um, officers and enlisted members in the ranks, you know, they would be rotating to a new duty station every three, four years, whatever it was. And I, my wife and I decided we didn't want that. And that drove part of the rationale for leaving active duty in the first place. Uh, to your point, as it, you know, segues to the, the corporate world, you, you know, this kind of gets in to, to some of my own personal story here, but, uh, you know, I, I've ended up landed in through a, a couple of stints in the corporate world uh, in professional services, uh, which is where I've worked uh, more, 15 or more plus years uh, since leaving corporate jobs in places like Procter & Gamble, General Electric. And professional services is one of those professions, kind of like sales, where the expectation is you spend an awful lot of time on the road. And, you know, we had had started having kids by then, had my oldest, and at a younger age, it was easier uh, to, to be away, but as they got older and became more aware and conscious of things, it became more and more difficult. Um, we, we can talk more about that, but you know, I, I've struggled very much in the, in the corporate world uh, and in trying to, to be the, the husband and parent that um, I wanted to be. Um, I, you know, oddly enough, I, I left the military to avoid that, but through professional choices, I ended up you know, coming to those crossroads inevitably um, and had to make decisions as a result. And you so, and your yeah. wife both were ambitious as well. So you also just have to, to balance that. It's not uh, while you're out making money for the family, your, your wife is keeping the household under control. It's you both have ambitions and you're both out there chomping the bit and trying to uh, make a career and at the same time balance it all and have kids that you recognize and they recognize you and you don't, they know to call you dad when you come home and 
it's not easy. It's something I struggle with my wife being a kindergarten teacher and also me doing a podcast and having a full-time job and three kids like that, that decision that you do every day to try to figure out where your time goes is one that uh, doesn't get any easier. No, that's exactly right. I mean, the point would be whenever, wherever you decide to begin to have a family and, and have kids and bring them into the picture, the calculus changes and whether that's in or outside of the military at some point, you know, those things, those priorities, the finite time you have in the course of a day is going to come into conflict and it's only what your personal priorities are. that are going to decide how you're going to allocate that time. Uh, That's why, you know, it's important through this podcast one here that we remind people of what some of those foundational values are. When you, so you had kids after coming home, or after getting out of the military, when you hear the words come home, what have those meant for you over the last 15 years being a father? Yeah, so I mean, for me, to, to, to draw a parallel, it's it's the same as it was in the, the military versus the corporate world, that what was different to your point is uh, the presence of kids. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say it's still, I still practice that every time I literally come home, but as a, as a term, to me, it's about being mentally and emotionally present and available to, to, to participate fully in the lives that you love the most. Uh, for me, that's my wife and my kids. And uh, so th- there's the you know actual physical presence of coming home, but being physically present doesn't necessarily mean being mentally and emotionally present mm-hmm. and available to them. Uh, early to be able in to life, walk them through what they what they went through that day at school, maybe. It takes emotional presence to be there to walk them through. That's right. To, to actively listen um, and to just settle and to make the conscious decision to make family the priority and not work the priority. And normally for me, that's, you know, I have a plane ride that buffers my work uh, from wherever that is in the country to where I'm actually home. That's when I can take some time to, flip that switch, if you will, and uh, begin to focus so that by the time I actually walk through the door, I, I can um, actively listen and participate. You know, when the kids were younger, that involved more things like, you know, taking over for my wife and the chores associated with the kids. You know, d- these days, it, it's more of getting involved with the kids and their homework and their sports teams and whatever they see going on as a priority. So they, things evolve, um, and the activities you're involved with will evolve, but taking the time and making a conscious decision to, to be present is what it's all about. What were those things that your kids always wanted you to do when you walked through the door? We always remind dads that kids spell love T-I-M-E. What were the yep. things they always wanted your time for? Yeah, you, you call these things time bombs. Um, and it, it, it's a number of things that we do. Uh, I mean, the most immediate thing walking through the door is just – because I've been physically away for some period of time, usually um, several days at a time, even these days after having made some conscious decisions uh, to alter my career trajectory at the day job, you know, they just, they want to tell you about their day. They want to tell you about whatever games they were playing, that they want you to participate in what, what they're doing, whether that's part of homework, playing some games, you know, puzzles. Uh, We have, different family traditions we do, uh, one of which is family movie night where, and it doesn't necessarily need to involve a movie, but we carve out time um, every Friday as a family, uh, usually three to four hour good chunk of time where we're spending it all together, communing as a family. Uh, To the extent that we're all home at the same time, we have dinner together. Uh, You know, we go on camping trips together as a family. We have uh, family celebrations, both as an immediate family and as an extended family, at least those family members that are, are in town here locally, birthdays, holidays, uh, we, we do church on a weekly basis. Uh, and that's just with the family. And then with my wife, you know, we do date night, which we try to do at least once, once a month. Um, you know, my wife and I are, are very involved um, with the kids. What it, me tends to be more through sports, coaching, um, some of their, their various teams. My wife is involved in school committees and other kind of volunteer work. But all of it, to the point, adds up to, to spending time mm-hmm. and being present and uh, contributing to, to the kids, helping them feel 
that they have this this warm, caring, encouraging atmosphere, which in, within which they can thrive. I've heard stories where dads, it was literally at their high school graduation, they had an awakening moment that all of the 18 years of that, their son's life, they just wanted their time. And they never really realized that providing wasn't enough for them. And he was always attached to work and he didn't realize it till the very last story of a kid's high school life and child life is over. And it's, it's not, it's not easy. And it, it's, I think we just have to continue to be aware of it and continue to what you just, what you said, carve out time, make it a priority and just recognize what you also brought up there with your wife that I often say like, it's so easy, especially I think something about our society today it makes it gives us permission to just put everything into our kids. But then at that same time, uh, our kids are guaranteed to betray us. Hopefully they don't fail to launch and end up in our basement, but they're going to to leave us. And at the end of that, you're going to have the person that you originally committed your life with. And it's very easy to get the priority switch, but I've always tried to commit that my wife is number one and the kids are second. And I've always wanted to try to make my wife feel that, I love my kids and I'll do anything for them. But my wife at the end of the day is what's going to take my, the higher priority of trying to make sure that she has what she needs and before the kids have what they need. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective families, but one of the, I haven't read the family. I didn't know there was a family version. Yeah. So there's a great quote in there says one of the most important things you can do for your kids is to to love your spouse. And I, I, I really buy that and buy into that. I, I, Again, I'll, I'll say that I'm far from perfect. Our marriage is far from perfect. I'm always striving, always trying to, to practice and, and get better. But I'm totally aligned with you and, and on those lines. As you've had, you've had three, you have three boys, right? I do, yeah. So here we'll dive into something that's probably the most scariest thing. This You're not going to believe what the scariest thing for fatherhood for me is, but it's sports. I am absolutely just terrified because you're probably maybe you're probably you probably started like halfway through your kids when they were at the age, but like right now when my kids are at this age, the, the amount of sports activity and the atmosphere, it's like it's just it's insane the amount of commitment they ask for kids in these days. And yeah. I, I know someone at work that their kids have to be in the swimming pool at five a.m. every morning, mm-hmm. and I'm just like that's not a childhood. That's it's just. It's putting someone in a purpose and putting them in this path that isn't going to get them all the dividends, what they get out of it. And it's just, it literally scares me to death for trying to manage that and also just not get sucked into it, not become someone that just has all these, it's a sports parent that the kids don't even actually spend time being a kid that they're just running from. We have like two commitments right now and it's, uh, we have swim lessons on Thursday and we have gymnastics on Monday those are those two things already burned me out, and I'm at the very tip of the sword here and trying to to get through this idea. So, any advice for me or to calm me down for my fears? Well, you're you're, you're scratching a pet peeve of mine, which is sub specialization in kids sports these days, where you know whether it's soccer or baseball or volleyball, what have you, they want the kid to focus on that sport and they want to play it year round exclusively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it never stops. It's no longer like just a season of the year. Yeah, and I'm just philosophically opposed to that 100%. Um, I, I think kids need to be kids, uh, and they le- need to have the, the room, the freedom to experiment and play different things. Uh, we encourage our kids to play whatever sport is in season. And so in the spring, summer, it's baseball. Then they'll uh, switch over to, to tennis or whatever the fall sport is, cross country, what have you. Then they'll play basketball in the winter. And uh, – and, through that, they will determine for themselves what they want to do, and they'll specialize in what it is when they get into to high school and older. The, the other trend that I actively fight um, is it, it, it tends to go along with a subspecialization, but the uh, characterization of, of talent on these teams, they want to create an A team, B team, C team with A team presumably having all of the best talent on it. And they, you know, they burn these kids out. They, they play them, uh, you know, every other day. And uh, th- that's just, to me, that's not what sports are about. I know families that have campers for an entire weekends of baseball tournaments. I'm just like, 
I can't yeah. imagine that. And the kid, the kid was like six or eight. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't imagine taking our, my entire family away every weekend for a tournament for one kid. I was like, that's just yeah. going to wreak havoc on our cohesiveness as a family. Yeah, they're doing a disservice to the kids all in the name of winning. I mean, again, sports at this age aren't about winning. It's about kids, uh, you know, experimenting, having fun, getting out, playing, exercise, um, enjoying showing up even just putting in the work. That's right. I mean, there's lots that sports can teach, but uh, a good many parents (laughs) have, in my view, poisoned the well uh, and through the subspecialization. that's going on today in the world so it's weird because in the 90s it was about the trophy generation which is what i grew up in and everybody thinks millennials are broken because we're the trophy generation and everybody should be treated equal fairly but then somehow instead of like trying to reboot our sport mentality we just doubled down that we only needed to give trophies because everybody wasn't good enough so now, well, that was because they weren't practicing enough. And now, okay, we'll double down in practicing. And then we'll actually be able to give a trophy to the winners in because we'll actually have real winners. And it's, I'm hopefully the next generation just, hopefully these kids that went through this burnout stage, course correct and say, that I am never doing that to my kids. And I own, my one hope is I always reflect, no matter what decade or how bad something is messed up, I always reflect on how, what the, the greatest generation thought in the 60s that they had to think that the whole world was coming unglued when you had this perfect life in the fifties and then everything went to the sixties where everything was going crazy. I often reflect like they had to believe the world was going to an end and the United States was going to cease no more, but yet it didn't. It just kept going. It just cycled through different generations. It kept changing and evolving. So I often tell my, that, myself that no matter how bad something is right now, it doesn't always have to be that way. And through the history of the last 100 years in the United States, you can see patterns continue to change. And no matter how much we thought we were one way, we were able to pivot back to a different way. Yeah. Well, society is going to continue to change, evolve as it will. Uh, But, you know, you as uh, a parent, we as parents, we're responsible for raising our kids. And to the extent that we don't, you know, we defer to society. If Mm -hmm. we don't train them, teach them, society will. And, you know, one of the things you've asked folks in the past is, what do you want your kids to remember about you as a parent when, when they're, uh, you know, grown and left the coop? That, that's one of those things that I want them to remember, you know, my, my principles, my sayings, my teachings, many of which they'll, they'll raise in a, a joking manner, I'm sure. But the point is, it, it resonated with them and they still remember it and recall it and they'll, they'll continue to apply those things. And you, I would agree and similar from, for what I would want them to say about me is that I was there to help shepherd them through life and I yep. was never protecting them from it. And I was always um, making sure that they were aware of what was in front of them. I, I think one of the most forgotten roles as a father in 2019 is the role to explain the world to our kids. And I think there's a missed opportunity for everything from evil darkness to bullying to porn to weapons to violence to um school shootings they're going this this world isn't getting any different those things will all still exist no matter what type of values you have and the part that we don't recognize as fathers and this is where i we also talk a lot about legacy this is where you have the ability to truly craft the impact you can leave on your kids we don't let that voice be the first one from us we let them learn yeah. about it from someone else. That's right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, other things I think about, when, uh, you know, I think legacy, you know, one is just, just love. Uh, I want them to, to know and remember that I love them more than anything else in the world. That, you know, my wife and I created this warm, caring, encouraging atmosphere within which they could thrive. I want them to, to know and remember, you know, I taught them that their lives had purpose and I enabled that purpose with all that my wife and I have done to, to encourage them. Um, and also that, you know, we set the example, not just through words, but through our actions, that we were kind of the, the true North, we practiced what we preached, you know, and, and part of that is through, as our kids would tell you today, much to their chagrin, you know, we have rules, we have limits, and that, that's, that's purposeful. Uh, whether that's around the kind of food they can eat to the amount of time that they're spending on a computer in front of a screen or playing computer games or what have you. 
Um, and we explain, I mean, you know, we, we don't arbitrarily set limits. We explain to them why these rules exist and how and why they benefit them in the long run. I like that. And I was actually re- reflecting on, um, I haven't really thought of it this way, but you know, people don't say it too much, but like 10 years ago, what would Jesus do was the big popular thing to say. And right. one test is, I think, uh, a son or a daughter enters 18 and goes out in the world. How often do they hear in their head, what would dad do? Yeah. Because that means that you were that voice feeding them the guidance they needed to get through what they were dealing with. And that's really where you want them to draw from. I mean, I know there's, there's different things that my dad didn't talk to me about, but, and those are areas where I get scared the most because I don't, I only have my own gut feeling and experiences, which is very limited. I'm only 34 and being able to strengthen those gut feelings and those intuitional things that some people have and can just move mountains because they have these foundational intuitions they can just rely on and know the right and wrong quickly and just take action. Yep. Uh, that's right. And, and part of that in terms of legacy, you know, what you want your family's legacy to be for me, it's being recognized that we successfully delivered on what I call our family mission statement. And, you know, I made reference before to seven habits of highly effective families. This is one of the key my key takeaways from that, this concept of family mission statement. And if you'll permit me, I'll just, I'll read ours. Love to. Uh, This is, so we print this out. It's on our refrigerator with a magnet and uh, it's, you know, I talk about true North. Uh, Anytime subject of behavior comes up, we can just point to the the sign on the fridge, you know, (laughs) are your actions in compliance with this? Uh, It's a good point. Anyway, here, here is ours. Our home will be a fun, welcoming, energetic environment that encourages and enables loving, supporting relationships among family members. We will help each other use our God-given talents to their fullest and best purpose. We will encourage healthy living and habits and treat each other kindly and with respect. So that that's what we came up with. The kids added one little addendum, which is we will always flush the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> The kids added that or your wife added that? The kids added that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised with your wife living in a full house full of boys, it's not something like you will lift a toilet seat. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that that's uh, kind of our collective uh, true north. And you know, the theory being if we can successfully deliver on that, then uh, that's a good legacy to leave our kids. I like that. And I have talked about uh, core values on the podcast before. And I like to think of core values as lighthouses. And the ocean is very rough sometimes. Sometimes it can be perfectly calm and you have that sunset and it's like, oh, this is paradise. But then that same ocean, that same horizon has a hellacious storm that you're barely hanging on. And your lighthouse or your values are how you find home and find land again. Yeah. And, and, you know, you'd mentioned your scariest moment around sports. Uh, my scariest moment as a dad, uh, where I kind of had to ponder those core values, is the the shift in mindset I had to make um, in thinking that work was non-negotiable and shifting that to being family being non-negotiable. And, and that took some doing, and it, it did not come naturally. You know, coming out of the military, most of us uh, have the drive of, you know, being mission first. It's a mission first culture. It's a mission first environment. When I left the military, we didn't have kids. And so that attitude naturally flowed over into my civilian work. And, you know, early in uh, my years as a, a father, when I was in professional services, traveling four or five days a week. I, frankly, my nights and weekends weren't my own mm-hmm. uh, additional work I took on. Uh, you know, I, there were a few ultimatums, I'll just call them that, um, discussions between my wife and I. You know, her kind of shoving a, a mirror in my face, showing me how I was living and what impact that was having on life at home. And it, it, it took a couple of those discussions to, for me to realize that, you know, life has its limits. And if I wanted to remain married, if I wanted to be a, a good father to my kids, I needed to find a way to live within those limits. Things had changed. You know, we, we didn't 
we weren't uh, without kids anymore. Um, and so, you know, I decided to take on roles at work that had me traveling less, enabling me to spend more time at home. And while this certainly altered my career trajectory, it has enabled me to be a better husband and father at the end of the day. How old are you now? I am 50. So just four weeks ago, you might've heard me talk about the podcast. I was a stay at home dad for 10 days yep. and I took vacation. I, and my wife was in China and I was there and I kept thinking towards the end of it. I was like five years from the age I was thinking 55 that, and probably through every year till that age, I will always reflect on those 10 days is the right choice. No matter the pile of emails that I had waiting for me when I got back that those 10 days will be a, a highlight reel and hopefully I'll have more highlight reels to pull back from. But I know that first 10 days was like the catechism that made me re-anchor my life and prioritize on where life was supposed to go for me. And it's going to be something that I always reflect on as a very highlighted point in my life. And I like what you were saying also where you, you recognize those ultimatums were in place and share a little story before this podcast and my very first idea for a side hustle was a coaching business. And I was going to call it your reflection coaching. I had it all a logo figured out. It only lasted maybe three weeks. And then the veteran idea came into my head and, but it was born out of a guy yelling on the phone to his wife at work, just ferocious. And he didn't really care that people could hear. He was just go, they were going at it. And it was about laundry. And we would actually have this joke about laundry gate and because it was like, there was just pile, clothes piling up and it was kind of this, like, I'm not going to budge. You're not going to budge. And he would be wearing the same clothes every day. Uh, and I was just thinking to myself, I was like, he doesn't realize that as she's reflecting back, but yelling at him, it's just a reflection of what he's putting out into the world. And she's just mirroring it back. And it really was like one of my very first colloisms that I started pulling back that in so many ways how the world comes back to us is really just a reflection of how, what we put into it. So if you ref, put it little into your marriage, you're going to reflect back a soulless marriage. And in the military, this is where I'm positive. So many uh, active duty members get messed up where we contribute our life to almost as a credit card. And that because our service is noble and because everybody acknowledges you're, you're, you're doing something worthy of a sacrifice but at the end of the day, it's really not worthy of your family sacrifice whenever possible. And you essentially bankrupt your marriage because you borrow from so much time and don't really realize that you can't just be a provider. There has to be a three-legged stool of provide, protect, and preside and to be there with our family. Uh, that, that, that's great perspective. Um, the, the only other wrinkle I might add to that is you know how that potentially shifts over time. Um, and again, I'll make reference to my own personal story. When, when I got out, you know, my, my goals, uh, were, well, I, I was simply at a different station in life. Uh, on the one hand, you could consider point of view more selfish, self-centered, but the fact of the matter is I was focused on my own personal growth, uh, going back to school, uh, increasing skills, starting a career, uh, my wife doing the the, the, the same uh, for herself. You know, when, when kids came in, that completely altered our priorities. Some would say radically. We're, we're responsible for so much more today, certainly than when I got out. You know, life and, and what it all entails has expanded tremendously. And I think as the kids get older, it just continues to do so. Uh, when I first got out, you know, we weren't integrated in our community at all. Today, we're integrated, you know, not just within and among the family, but within the community, broadly speaking, and not just the, the neighborhood, but, you know, all other facets of the community, whether it's sports teams or, uh, you know, parish church community, what have you. We're approaching a station in our life where you know, it's becoming more important or more core to who we are to, to give back and to contribute, not just to the immediate family, but to the, the broader surrounding community which is in part um, has led me and my uh, personal mission, my side hustle and uh, writing book, helping veterans. And uh, the second book I have in draft now around helping employers to hire veterans. So there, there's a lot that we're doing and staying very inactive. It's, we're still 
you know, finding it difficult to, to make time with all of these evolving priorities. Uh, the, the, again, the upshot, the point would be that priorities change over time and uh, expand somewhat as time goes along in your various stations in life. There is a, uh, a guest that on the podcast, Nick Maytash, he gave me a gift last fall when he was talking at a Facebook Live and he was talking about the seasons changing and he yeah. related that to life. And I have being ambitious and having, I've never had a lack of ideas. I, I can tell you, I have probably a hundred ideas a day. It's overwhelming. And it's just like, I want to do them all. They're all great. And it's just this giant squirrel fest of chasing squirrels around the yard, almost in my head. <laughs> and that question g- gave me permission to say, yeah, that's a good idea, but that's not this seasons of life. That that's a different season of life. And one of them is air travel. I absolutely love planes. I love anything related to planes. I love international travel. I enjoy traveling for work because I like experiencing different things. And I was really struggling with this. Like, I want to do this more now. But at the same time, I was like, I want to be a dad. And then I was like, well, planes aren't going anywhere. I can just enjoy that love of planes even more in a different season of life when my kids don't want to spend time with me. And it's just not something it allows you just to separate in the timeline of your ambitions almost and even public speaking. I want to be a paid public speaker in the future, but that's not something that I'm willing to fully dive into right now. And cause it involves travel and being away. And I've just said, that's a different season of life and I'm preparing myself for that life now through going to Toastmasters. But at the same time, it's not something that I'm doubling down on and signing up for paid speaking gigs. It's just something that I'm preparing myself for that different season. Well, I, I commend you for your focus on your priorities as a, a million miler and a lifetime <laughs> Titanium member at, at Marriott. I, I can tell you it quickly gets old and uh, doesn't necessarily help out with things on the home front. You mean the Capital One commercials aren't true? <laughs> well, you can spend all kind of money and all kind of things, but uh, that doesn't necessarily fix things at home. Correct. You can have a thousand points on your credit card, but that doesn't, you can't cash them in for love from your wife. That's right. You got it. Because they got to have time. They don't need money. Yep. Precisely. Where were you at in your life that, or what was it like when you first had the idea to write your book? Was it someone that kind of breathed life into you to, get, to write it? Or was it just kind of, uh, you woke up one day and you're like, I'm going to write a book? So here's the story on this. Um, you know, I got out, I, I mentioned the year, uh, which obviously makes me, <laughs> to some of your listeners, an old guy. I left active duty in 96, uh, which seems like a long time ago. In my mind, it was just yesterday. Uh, the Army at that point in time had um, a course called Army Career Alumni Program. It was in its infancy. Uh, it was administered within the last week on active duty. It was really just a check the box exercise. Uh, you're doing a million other things trying to, to out process um, and really took away nothing, did little to help me and all <laughs> veterans of my generation to transition to a life of full employment and a career of my choosing. Sounds like a modern day tap course. Yeah, it was a, it was a nuisance. Um, you, you know, so fast forward 20 years and now I have, you know, buddies, uh, classmates uh, that have devoted they and their families entire lives in service to the country, have rotated every three, four years, have been deployed countless times, been through the ringer, uh, again, on behalf of the nation, and come to find in, in helping some of these people cross the transtherm from the service to the real world that you know, frankly, the, the support provided them while there's been lots of investment in it, the upshot is it, it still hasn't done much in terms of the mm-hmm. and their fulfillment and finding a full employment and career of their choosing. And having spent, you know, those 20 plus years helping people on an individual basis, I, I finally got upset enough uh, to do something about it. I'd gotten you were sick and tired of being sick and tired of the system not working. Yeah. I, I'd gotten consistent feedback over the years from people I'd helped on an individual basis. You know, one, just a message of gratitude. Thank you for helping. The second part of that was always, you know, gee, you really, you really ought to find a way to scale this. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, rotating out. The figures are you know, approaching 200,000 a year. Uh, how do we scale what you've done to help me? You know, and they'd say, have you thought about writing a book? And 
I never considered myself an author and just kind of laughed it off. But, you know, again, getting to the point where actually seeing people that I know and love and respect and their families and what they've been going through in the very recent future, that's when I just decided to begin putting pen to paper and bring this thing to reality. So it's been a three-year journey. Uh, took me a, a year to write. Took me almost another year to find a publisher who's HarperCollins, and uh, it'll be published here on September the 24th, finally. That's awesome. And you've, it's a lot like a lot of things where you, you, you have people see things in yourself that you don't see for yourself, which is why coaching works, which is why mentorship works, because one of the things, even just in, as a platoon sergeant in the Marine Corps, was one of my favorite six months billets that I had the chance to do was. I loved seeing potential in people that they couldn't see and then helping them figure out how to make something of it. Like, and that's essentially what you're doing as a mentor there in their career is you see potential as a civilian, as a person that takes those the skills and transit, translate them over. And those skills will translate to you into what you want, but you have to have almost that guide path. And I often, I don't know whether you cover this in your book, but I've, I've realized through doing this podcast that, a piece of TAPS course for me, which was like three days in Okinawa. They teach you how to get a re resume, go through an interview. And I'm not really sure the rest. Those are the highlights. I remembered I needed to get a suit. So I went to the men's warehouse. That was about all it served me. But I remember one thing that I wish they would have did. And I wish we would have went somewhere, either a reception or a conference or some mm -hmm. type of field trip where there was like a hundred business professionals. And we went in with the challenge to sell something. And the mm -hmm. challenge was to go in there and talk to as many strangers as possible and try to sell something from us to them. That would have served me a thousand times more because I've realized with this podcast, you can have all the dreams in the world. You can have the ambition as high as a skyscraper, but if you can't talk to people, you're not going to be able to move almost no component of your life forward. So much of it comes from conversations like this, being willing to talk to someone because there are, you could go to an airport and there could be three people in that airport that could save your life and give you the opportunity you've always wanted. But if you don't talk to them, you'll never know. You'll walk by them right on the escalator. You'll never know it. That skill would have served me a thousand times more in the transition process and probably shortcutted even a whole bunch of time to get to this point of where I'm more comfortable talking with strangers because for 10 years, even after I was married, talking to anybody, even if it wasn't a girl, every person I would talk to was the high school girl that was going to say no. <laughs> that was well, the biggest fear in my life at that point. Like, what if they reject me like, like in high school? And then I never overcame that. And that held me back more than any other aspect of the transition process. And I think veterans struggle to fit in. And we often don't know how to talk to people because we can't relate to them. But you got to dive in and figure it out. Yeah, well, it's, it's exactly right. And the skill has become even more critical in this day and age. I think veterans leaving the service... Uh, have to tackle a far greater challenge than veterans of my generation or before. Uh, part of that's driven by the, you know, wide and ever growing civil military gap, just to throw some figures out at you to quantify that, you know, since nine 11, you know, more than 99 and a half percent of the American population has not served on active duty uh, for veterans coming out that aspire to attain a, a, a a job in the, the Fortune 1000, let's call it, uh, how many or what percentage of the Fortune 1000 C-suite, CXO, CEO, CFO, CIO, et cetera, what percentage do you think actually has any military experience whatsoever? What would you guess? The only thing I have is that, uh, I don't know whether it was marketing or not, that it, there was, it was almost like 25% in the Fortune 500 are Marine veterans. It's like it was an insane amount of military veterans as the top 500. So I would say probably even 25 or 30% in the top 1,000. It's two and a half percent. Two and a half. I was way off. Two and a half. Now, not completely the floor, but it's still not as completely as good either. So let's expand it to include all board members of the Fortune 1000. The percent that have any military experience whatsoever is less than five. So flip those figures around. If I'm a veteran coming out today and I'm aspire to attain a role in a Fortune 1000, there's a better than 95% chance that the person sitting across from me doing the hiring has no idea who I am, what I've done, what I can do, what I have to offer. And so to your point, those communication skills and being able to proactively translate for them who you are, what you've done, what you can do is incredibly uh, 
pertinent and, and critical. And, and that's precisely what the, the book aims to do. It is a practical guide to help veterans uh, achieve full employment coming out of, of active duty. The, the primary question the book aims to answer is, how can transitioning veterans realize their full potential by avoiding false starts and suboptimal career choices following active duty? Because there, there's an awful lot of that going on out there. And the part that I think you went through as well, it sounded like, is when you transition, and we all go through it, is we forget and we leave the ego, the ego switch on. That when you wear your uniform, it's just kind of inherently like ego is almost a survival mechanism. But ego on the other side of that is the one thing that's going to keep you lonely and unemployable and um, just eventually burning your life out because people don't want to be around you. And my friend Chris Hoffman, he puts it best that we go from Superman to Clark Kent. And it sounded a little bit like you were very ambitious to replace Clark Kent and redefine him. And that's a part where we can easily get lost when you don't know who you are when that uniform's off because it's so easy to condition yourself that that is your identity. And you don't have one underneath and you take that uniform off or I think that's, we struggle maybe even come home in our families that without that uniform, we don't really see ourselves as anything, but to our kids, we're still a hero even without that. <laughs> that's, that's a great piece. I'll, I'll pick up on that. Just one comment on your point around ego. The, the other issue with ego uh, can result in the cardinal sin, as I think of it, of thinking that you're entitled to a job coming out of the military and that couldn't be further from the truth you know again reflect on the statistics that i related um you know none of those people for the most part are going to be handing you anything because they they have no idea who you are what you can do and you showing up with an attitude that you deserve something uh from the get-go without having proven yourself or demonstrating what you can do that's that's not going to result in success uh to your point around Superman, uh, I, I tend to think the same way. I mean, one thing I would relate to your, the military veteran dads out there, you know, you're always going to be Superman to your kids. They're, they're always going to think that you hang the moon. So don't let your transition from the military where you do become Clark, Clark Kent get into your head. You know, learn to wear the new suit the new uniform, uh, perfect that new way of being with the confidence that your kids are going to be there with you as long as you continue to spend time and be present and available for them. That, that transition um, in becoming uh, Clark Kent uh, is just something you need to sort through and something that my book walks you through in very field-like manual, field manual-like manner, step one, two, three, crawl, walk, run, just as you experienced in the military. There is uh, was also reflecting on an emotion that I've suffered with and still suffer on some days is being a person of value that I think when you don't feel accepted or maybe when you're struggling, your self-worth and value can go through the floor, especially even when you come home, like you just feel like you're just not enough to cross any finish line. And like, why should I come home and just be reminded of that? Was that anything that you had to, you can relate to? I, the question or challenge I'm always issuing to myself is, am I being the best husband, the best father that I can be? Uh, a little phrase I think we have to uh, attribute to St. Jerome that my father always um, drilled into my head was the old ditty, good, better, best, which goes good, better, best, never let it rest. Your good gets better and your better gets best. So I, this continuous improvement mantra uh, always floods my head and my priorities being what they are I always think of am I doing enough as I take time um, either early in the in the morning or late at night to sit in front of a computer and try to crank out another page for my book is that time that could be better spent uh, spent with my wife with with my kids what have you I, I appease myself and those thoughts for the moment with the thoughts of the the people that I'm going to help um, and that the, the time it will take to crank out this chapter this book is is finite and more short term uh, but I still struggle with that I'd be lying to you if I told you otherwise I've got an email on Tuesday from a listener and it was perfectly timed because it was a bit of a rough day and it was just said of how thankful he was for me I've never met him don't know who he is and never seen him on Facebook and it's just one of those like, and you've seen it, I'm sure when you, when you uh, 
as your book will go out there, it's your book will touch people that you have no idea. They've read your book and somehow they've, you've inspired them. And even when you don't feel enough, your book somehow is still proving that the universe says differently. And I, I even the podcast sometimes like it's, I, it's my little hack almost to reaffirm that I am a person of value and that I do have something to say. And it's my way to kind of eliminate that self limiting belief of not being good enough or enough for the people around me. Well, Ben, for what it's worth, <laughs> I, I say you, you're doing a, a great uh, thing here and a, a huge source of value for all of your listeners. It's um, an old school approach that's long overdue. We need to hear more of. So I, I, I thank you for doing it. My great hope for the book is precisely that, that it does get received broad distribution and in readership. Uh, I would like to think and hope that the military ends up picking this up, perhaps even as a text uh, to, to augment what they're doing today. Uh, but time will tell. Especially because there's people that do teach it right now that don't have the wisdom. They're probably not, maybe even not on the other side of the transition and they're trying to teach transition. You literally have a 20 year lens, which is perfect 2020 vision of what not to do and what to do. And if you can shortcut even five years off of that 20 year version to get to where you are today, that's worth every dime for someone to step into. That's why I said, I, I was I don't get too many um, older dads in the podcast, but I, I like it where it's just, you can shortcut the wisdom, get excited. Uh, I was actually funny story. Uh, I was in a mastermind. It was my very first mastermind with a bunch of dads. And I was the youngest person at like 32. They were all above 40. And they were talking about some of the same things that I was talking about. And I'm like, I always remember getting a little bit depressed. And I was thinking like, <laughs> oh, this is, they're eight years ahead of me. And they're still struggling with the same crap. What hope is there? <laughs> this is not, it's supposed to get better. And then I said this to the, the group that we were in. And he was like, dude, if I'm not struggling, I'm not living. And if I'm not struggling, I'm, I might as well be dying. And so it reminded me that life is never without struggle. It was just the ability to sometimes have a rope to help you get through it, which is what your book is. It's that rope to hold on to when the wind's getting really gusty. But that's what life is about is the struggle. And that's when we grow. And without that, we tend to remain the same. And if we're not growing, we're dying and going the other direction. I heard a perfect yeah. quote that I haven't said in the podcast yet, but I think you would like it. I don't remember where I heard it. It was on, an, uh, oh, it was on the MF CEO podcast uh, that he was talking about. And he's like, people can feel like they're in a rut. And the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth. <laughs> that if, you, if you stay in the same rut, all you'll do is go down to eight feet. And yeah, you got to embrace the struggle, embrace the chaos. Another saying I've heard you say, if, if you want a result that, that you've never had in your life, you need to do something that you've never done. And, you know, to your point, the, the way SFL TAP is administered these days which is Soldier for Life Transition Assistance Program, uh, for those listeners that, that don't know. Um, it, it, it's in many ways the blind leading the blind. The way it's administered, it's contracted out, and these contractors hire people that have just come off active duty that haven't gone through their own transition. So, um, yeah, and there's lots of room for improvement. I'm not here to bash it. Again, I'd like to augment what they're doing with, you know, 20 plus years of wisdom. From well, if anything, there was just a new sign of hope breathed into Soldier for Life. I didn't really know Soldier for Life before today even. So every morning every, on the weekends, I go to Starbucks and I was processing all my different inputs. And I came across on LinkedIn that uh, Soldier for Life launched the first podcast episode. No good. So there's now a podcast to help get the information out. And I was like, okay, finally. Okay, they're only a little bit behind, but we're still at the age where podcasts are still in. It's not like they're dying. So perfect timing to jump in. And it's essentially just sharing conversations like this and wisdom. And that's how you can get that one little thing for listening for an hour that moves your life forward. I can't tell you how many times there's just one little piece, one 30 second clip of an hour long podcast. It's like, that's what I needed to hear. And then yeah. you can run on that for a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. We'll have to seek them out. Um, you know, I, I, couple things that uh, are another question you've asked in the past is around just what advice that I might give to, to dads looking to, to come home to their marriage. And, uh, you know, 
to that, I'd say certainly no marriage is perfect and neither is mine. Uh, so I'm a bit hesitant <laughs> to give out a ton of advice here. But one thing I would say, and it goes back to one of your earlier points, uh, something I've learned over the years, I've been married 25 years now, um, it, that has improved relationship with my wife is just having frequent and open communication. And it, it doesn't need to be, you know, very deep, uh, involved conversations, just regular check-ins and much as you know spending time with kids there's time with your wife as well and to your earlier point about making that priority one you know for us it's as simple as things as synchronizing calendars weekend schedules coordinating logistics on you know, who's taking which kid to which activity and when uh, making sure that we're aligned on topics that we're discussing with the kids and what the philosophical bases are um, you know any marriage, any family take, takes teamwork, especially at the parental level, and successful teams require communication. Um, and my wife would tell you, would would add that active listening <laughs> is a critical part of that as well. Without feedback. And I, right. uh, I would put the cherry on top for that is uh, don't provide opinions, provide validation. That's something else I, I still struggle with, but I know oftentimes people just given the gift of validation and uh, understanding that they have a right to feel how they feel can just be the gift and permission to, to move past whatever they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, as part of our, our check-ins, that's uh, something that we always touch on as well. That's right. So as we wrap up today's interview, the, the final question, what advice would you want to leave out there for military veteran dads, either active or veteran? Um, well, you know, I, I've, I've dispensed a, a few different things here. I guess the last thing I would leave you with is, by virtue of this podcast and all of the episodes you've heard, you're, you're not alone. Uh, you're not the first person to go through this, and you certainly won't be the last. And you have a tribe of brothers and sisters, um, both outside the military and still inside the military, that are, are standing ready to support you in whatever, whatever those issues are. Uh, my encouragement would be uh, to the extent you need help, reach out and get help because people are going to be ready, willing, and able to deliver on it. Uh, to just sit there and stew in it uh, doesn't help you, doesn't help your family. And uh, normally that's when, when things go south, um, either from a personal health standpoint or from a familial health standpoint. So take advantage of, of us, pull that string and uh, your your fellow tribal veterans uh, won't fail. And you probably heard it on me say it before, is that we weren't meant to do life alone. We were meant to share the load and we're not meant to lift everything that life gives us. There you go. There you go. Uh, what, one other thing I would add, other than uh, the seven habits of finally effective families that I mentioned, you know, wh one other book I would recommend is, is it's called Choosing to Cheat. It's by Andy Stanley, uh, which... Uh, kind of somewhat oxymoronic. It, it's all about deciding and understanding how not to cheat on your family. For me personally, it, it helped reinforce my learning about family being non-negotiable versus work being non-negotiable. Fact of the matter, fact of life is, you know, work is always going to uh, come into conflict with family life at some point, and it kind of helps you work through the thinking on how to successfully uh, decide uh, what, what those priorities are and what the outcome should be. I like that. And I've, I haven't heard that book, so I'm going to definitely look it up and I'll include a copy of that book in, or a link to the book on Amazon in the show notes for people that want to check it out. Well, Matthew, I really appreciate this conversation. I know we talked about a lot of different things, but you had some big things to unpack. And I'm always amazed at just the amount of, when you share stories of life being a dad, there are so many hidden gems that other people aren't even realizing are gems. Uh, there was an earlier episode with Phil uh, Blake, and he gave the advice of always kissing your wife first when you come through the door. Can't tell you how many people I've talked to that listen to that episode and now use that advice in their family. And he was the guy that was scared to come on. He didn't see himself as a value. And I'm like, you're changing the world with one piece of advice. And it was just some, the littlest thing that you were doing in your life. So I really appreciate you coming on and opening up about your life and what your triples and tribulations of becoming a dad on the other side of transition. Yeah. Glad to do it. My, my thing is you know, I got, agree with kisses. My thing is hugs. I give big, big bear hugs to the kids. 
Yeah, I'm a big life. hugger as well. And uh, wasn't something I really uh, even was aware of. I would say I was probably always a little bit anti-hugging, but then I went to a dad summit and everybody is kind of hugging there. And I got kept getting compliments that my hugs were really good. And I'm like, I've never been complimented <laughs> on my hugs in my life. And so now everywhere I go within this dad's group, everybody's always commenting on the, how big the hugs are. And I was on a podcast of a guy that's in that group and he asked me to come up with a rapper name and that rapper name I came up with, I was like, I don't have a rapper name. And I was like, big hugger B. <laughs> so now that's me just owning more of who I am and stepping into that and not holding it back. And it's just more of the gift of the world for me to everyone else. And everybody has that gift. You just got to step into them and stop holding back from them. There if people want to connect yeah. with you, Matthew, where is the best place to connect with you? Yeah, well, thanks again, Ben, for having me and for this opportunity to, con to contribute. I, I hope it helps. Uh, please visit my website. It's at MatthewJLewis.com. Uh, Lewis as in St. Louis. Uh, my book, Mission Transition, will, will be available in all formats on September the 24th. I'd be glad to uh, be a speaker, and uh, so just reach out to me on the website. Well, I appreciate it, Matthew, and I'll include a copy of that link also in the show notes for people to check it out. And I can't wait for you to have amazing success with that book. And I know it's going to shortcut a lot of uh, veterans on that transition process. And there is uh, my very first podcast episode. Uh, oh, I'm going to mis mispronounce his name. You know, his last name is Bergen. Very first podcast. And he had a mission that the veterans and leadership were the next golden age of leadership. And your book will help awaken that effort to untap the, the leadership potential that is the veteran community and take over the business world and to transform it. Yeah, I certainly hope so. That's its purpose. Well, thank you very much and you have a good day. Thank you, Ben. You as well. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.